you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. All right, you can go ahead and turn back over to Mark chapter 4 today. Uh, I'm going to pick up on the same verses we were looking at last week. And I want to preface this a little bit. So we're in uh, Mark chapter 4. We're, we're looking at, I believe, at verses 16 and 17. Uh, we've been in this for a couple of weeks. Let me try and catch up with you there. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Okay. Um, I, I'm not going to take a lot of time to review what we've already talked about. You can pick up the, you can go to rmcmchurch.org and get the podcast. You can watch the video, uh, however you want to pick it up. We've covered a lot of things in this in this passage so far. But right now we're in this, we're in the parable that Jesus taught about the sower sows the word. We looked at the first kind of ground, which is essentially a hard heart where the word doesn't have any entrance into somebody's life. It lays up on the surface and, and Jesus said that the devil will come and just steal it immediately. Like a bird coming to pick seed off the ground, he'll just steal it right away. Okay, the second type of heart attitude here that Jesus describes is one that Jesus describes, or most of our Bibles say something like rocky soil. And and some translators or some um Bible scholars translate that as like gravel, some translate it as a, a layer of rock, just shallow underneath a little bit of soil. Some translate it the, the kind of ground that we had in New Mexico, actually, that we have at our house. Here you start digging, there are rocks. Every, well, out here, good grief. Oh man, try and sink a fence post out here. I mean, it's just, they're just river rocks everywhere under there. But there's some, you look at it, it looks like soil, but really there it's rocky, rocky, rocky underneath. So it's it's that type of soil. It, it really, um, for our purposes, I mean, it speaks of a, a shallow soil. It speaks of maybe a person that still has a lot of issues that work in their heart. They're open to the Lord in some areas, still closed in other areas. Maybe there's, unforgiveness at work or fear or something they don't want to let loose of. I mean, I, I've I've worked with people that went just so far with the Lord, and then when he started to deal with a specific area in their life that he needed to change a specific sin or something, they just didn't want to let go of that. And, and they just ended up walking away from the Lord. I've seen that a number of times. You know, so it can be any any number of different things that are spoken of there. The point is that the word can't make much entrance. The word really can't get deep in that soil. And today, um, we're going to, you know, so this person, I put a few things down. Uh, for this person, Jesus might be Savior, but not be Lord. We see that, you know, where where he's not allowed to speak into our lives, change us. You know, uh, he, he doesn't have, we don't give him that place. He's just savior. We're, we're happy about going to heaven, but we, we haven't really given him that place in our life. We can kind of see him. He's, he's not really our coach because, you know, a good coach uh, will point out your weaknesses and, and, and to try and fix them and strengthen your strengths. And if we don't give him that role in our life, Lord's a real gentleman, um, 
the Holy Spirit do, just doesn't force things on us. It's, it's, he could, but he doesn't. He treats us as children and partners. And uh, so anyway, he'll keep working with you, but he, he doesn't force things on. We can, we can treat him as more of a visitor than a family member, somebody who lives in the house, you know, and has access. It's a limited access kind of thing. So let's just look at these uh, scriptures. And let me just say, that, well, I'll, I'll wait a second. Let's look at these scriptures. Um, Mark 4, verses 16 and 17, it says, And in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and welcome it with joy. So we talked about several weeks ago that that's the first step is to receive what God says, but there are a number of steps after that to letting it go deep in us. And it says, They have no real root in themselves, And so they endure for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises, notice these words again, on account of the word. It's very clear in these scriptures. Trouble and persecution arises on account of the word. That means it's coming to steal the word out of this person's heart. That's why trouble, tribulation, affliction, we're going to go through those terms, comes into our life. It is there to steal the word out of our life. It says when that happens, they immediately are offended. And and this, uh, in the Amplified here in, in Mark's gospel, it says that means they become displeased, they become indignant, they become resentful, and they stumble and fall away. Now we noticed last week, so so that particular, the way Mark put this, the person has no root in themselves. And then we looked at the way Matthew brought out this teaching over in chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. And he says, as for what was sown on thin, rocky soil, this is he who hears the word and at once welcomes and accepts it with joy. Yet it has no real root in him, but it's temporary. It's inconstant. It lasts but a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, okay, at once he is caused to stumble. He's repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey. So we looked last week, the fact we've got two parallel truths working there. One, uh, in one case, it's more about that the person has never developed the habit or the lifestyle or the discipline or the character trait of rootedness in their life. They are not used to putting down roots, probably in any area of life. There are a lot of people, we talked last week about what does it look like to be a rootless person and what does it look like to be a rooted person? We talked about that. Not gonna go back over all of that. But in the, in the one uh, disciple's mind, Jesus was talking about, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit birthed these verses in each of these guys, and they bring out two parallel truths. In the first one, it has to do with our own attitude toward the truth that we hear. And Jesus said in the same chapter, down in verse 24, he said, it's the amount of study and um, the amount of study and How much you pay attention to the word that you hear is going to determine the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. There's something we have to do with the word of God. And for a lot of people, and I think increasingly in our society, people are just not rooted people. Okay, it doesn't mean we never change, never move, never go. It doesn't mean that, 
But more and more and more, we're, we're instant gratification. We move from place to place. When something gets uncomfortable, we leave. We were just talking with some friends, uh, actually texting back and forth with some friends of ours uh, back east that we've known for about 100 years and talking about the condition of marriages today and how, how many of our Christian friends we find uh, getting divorced and, and how, and this isn't to criticize anybody, this is just we see in our society, it's very easy these days to break relationships, to break contracts, to break uh, covenants, to, you know, to, to not keep your word, to whatever. I mean, it's just, if it gets uncomfortable, if it's not working, if it's not convenient, we find a reason not to do it. That's just sort of a symptom of something that's going on in our society. And this addresses that concerning the truth that we hear. We don't want to be rootless concerning the truth that we hear. We want to put down roots in it. The way that Matthew brought it out, he said the word can't make any progress. And Jesus echoed that over in John chapter 8, that uh, that the word can make no progress in you because of your hardness of heart. So, so we also know that's true, that there are times where there are just um, various kinds of blockages that are at work in our hearts. There are a lot of things. Unforgiveness, of course, is a huge one. Uh, regrets, I mean, we've talked about so many of these things so many times. Uh, religion is a huge one. Religious teaching can block what the word's trying to do in our lives until we, we finally see what the word of God actually says. So we have these two things uh, working. And then I want, to, I want to spend the rest of today looking at uh, the rest of this passage. And for some of you, almost certainly, or some of you that hear this later, some of you that are out there online, almost certainly what I am going to say is going to argue with some of the things you've been taught. And all I'm asking today, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is your teacher. The Word of God is your teacher, okay? I have a role to play here, but I do ask you to consider the things that we're going to look at today. Consider what we're saying. Because some of this will seem a little bit like subtle differences from what you may have been raised in, but they go to the nature of God, to how you perceive God's nature and his role in your life and in this earth. So I think they're, I think they're really important. This Going back again to Mark 4, it says that these people receive, accept, and welcome the word with joy. They have no real root in themselves. They endure for a little while. But when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, Right? On account of the word, some of your translations say, say that in different ways, but it's for the word's sake. The point is, it is crystal clear here that these troubles, problems come into our lives to steal the word out of our lives. Now, what else would you think about that? A lot of people believe that the troubles you face in life come in to teach you a lesson, some people actually believe it's God punishing them. And, and that's, I was raised in that kind of an environment where people thought that, you know, that if something bad happened, if there was sickness, somebody died early, they lost a child, you know, b- bad things happened or, or their business wasn't working well or something like that. They believed that it was, they were paying for their sins. And these people professed to be Christians, but, uh, I, you know, later, once I got born again, started reading my Bible, I realized, no, no, I can't pay for my sins. 
I couldn't pay for my sins. Even if Jesus hadn't done it, I can't pay for my sins. But Jesus did do it. Jesus paid completely for my sins. I don't need to pay again. And I'm not supposed to pay again. And any way that I try to pay again is is not a good, that's a slap in his face about his work. We don't think of it that way. There again, that's one of those religious traditions that'll steal the word of God about his nature and about his role in your life out of your heart. So it says here that I'm going to use some different terms. Tribulation, affliction, and persecution are mentioned specifically. They come on account of the word. The Passion Translation says it this way. I love this. It says, when a season of difficulty and harassment from the enemy comes, he quickly falls away because the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. When a season of difficulty and harassment from the enemy. So we can see right away what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about trouble coming into our life. We'll define that in a second. And problems coming into our life, bad things happening on planet earth. And it's saying, Jesus said, it's coming for the word's sake. It's coming to steal the word out of your heart because that word, I don't think this is even personal that the devil does this. I think we have way too high an image of ourselves that we think the devil is so interested in us. The reason he's interested in you is because you look like Jesus to him, number one. You carry Jesus' authority in this earth, number two. And this word that's just come into your life can change you and transform you more into his image. So he wants to steal that word, that seed, before it can bear any fruit in your life. So if he can't take it right off the surface, then if it's not, if you don't take the time to let it go deep in your heart and you go deep in it, then he can come again and steal that word out of your life. And I don't think there's any way to question that that's what this scripture is saying. Okay, so that's, we okay so far? Everybody good so far? All right, so this word trouble here, it, uh, it's translated affliction, tribulation. Sometimes it's uh, translated tests or trials, but usually that's a different word that we'll talk about later. Uh, but it's, it means, this is a Greek word that we've talked about many times, that speaks of a continuous crushing weight or pressure that comes into your life. It's brought on by all the various troubles and difficulties that happen on the earth. Now, let me stop right here and say, tell you what we are not saying this morning, okay? We are not saying that the Christian will never have tribulation, okay? If you, if you understand that word, crushing difficulty, pressure, trouble, problems, affliction, that kind of thing. We are not saying the Christian will not experience that. Jesus specifically told us, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Love the tribulation. No, that's not what he said. He said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's why we're supposed to be able to approach problems with joy. So we're not saying that you're never going to have problems. You're going to have problems, okay? But knowing where those came from and what their purpose is changes your purpose and your reaction when troubles come into your life or a friend's life or a community or a country or anything else. All right, we need to be clear on those things. 
So we're not saying that. We're not saying that you cannot learn in the midst of troubles or grow in the midst of troubles. You absolutely can and should. What we are saying, and we'll say more clearly, we're going to look at a couple sacred cow scriptures here in a minute. Uh, we're going to kick some of your sacred cows, so just be ready for that, okay? Um, what we are saying is that God, God is not the author of those troubles and persecutions and temptations and trials and difficulties, sickness, disease, famine, plague, anguish, you know, uh, loss, grief, all of those kinds of things. There is a big religious tradition in Christianity that says God sends that stuff into our life to teach us, okay? And there are a lot of ways we can go on this. I wish I had, I wish I could keep you for four hours in order to cover this well, but let's, let's keep moving on, okay? So these are troubles that are encountered by everybody. This, this term was picked up, and I always thought it was a, a Roman thing. I've just read that it was actually an English thing, uh, I'm half English, um, that it was a punishment that was used and they picked up this term. And what they did was if they were trying to get somebody to talk or it was just a punishment, they laid somebody out on one big slab of stone and they lowered another one onto them slowly and crushed them to death. That is the word thalipsis that is translated tribulation, affliction, uh, things like that in, in your Bible, okay? So you can get that in my life when I face different things. How many of you ever felt crushed? by calamity, crushed by affliction, crushed by loss or grief. We, they, we use that terminology. It was, it was crushing me. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about somebody necessarily putting a rock on top of you. But that's the point in this word, tribulation, is that it is a crushing pressure. We see it in, again, I'll just give you this little list, loss, grief, poverty, famine, hopelessness, okay, Anguish that's experienced in war zones and through tyranny in the earth. They all fall under this word. The anguish that comes from broken relationships, from injury, from disease, from national dis natural disasters, worries, burdens, cares. All of those things fall under this word, the, this word tribulation. Okay, in, in English, in the English dictionary, affliction is defined as any cause of persistent pain or distress, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Okay, and it's usually caused by sickness, loss, calamity, persecution. Okay, so it's this, it's this sense of affliction. This is what Jesus is talking about. When those things come in, to the rocky-hearted person's life, they come to steal the word out of his heart. And if that person doesn't respond properly and hold on to that word and let it go deep, that word, what God was preparing them with to face the difficulty will be stolen out of their life. And instead, that tribulation will have its way in their life. And oftentimes, what was the result? They become offended with God. They start to distrust him. Okay. They, they walk away from him. cover this other word persecutions. Okay. What are persecutions? Persecutions, specifically their acts of hostility and hatred, physical or verbal. Okay. Carried out against you because of your faith. Okay. Because of your faith. All right. 
this is not, I got fired because I showed up for work late every day for a month. They're persecuting me because I'm a Christian, okay? Yes, I have heard that. I I got fired. I got, you know, this person, my landlord kicked me out because I destroyed their property. I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. No, no, no. This is when, and we have experienced this to a very mild degree so far in most of our lives and in this country. But this persecution is when somebody comes against you specifically because you're a Christian. Jesus includes this, that that happens to steal the word out of your heart. Okay, trying to get you to release the word of God. Does that does that make sense? Okay, so there's no doubt in this passage about the source of these things. It is the enemy. It is the devil. He is coming to try and steal the word out of your heart. Okay, so let me just, let's lay some groundwork here. Okay, think about the list that we just gave. Death, destruction, sickness, disease, you know, all of those, that whole list, loss, grief, all that stuff, okay? Did we see any of those things in the garden before the fall when sin entered the earth? Did we see any of that stuff? No, okay, none, all right? When did that stuff start? When Adam sinned, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, when Adam sinned through one man, through sin, Death, it says, entered the earth. Doesn't just mean physical death. It means all the bad stuff that comes out of the sin condition in the earth. That's what that word means, okay? Spiritual death and everything. Physical death is just a manifestation of that, okay? So all of that stuff came in through sin. So that's when it entered the earth. It wasn't in the garden, okay? Think of the ministry of Jesus. We believe Jesus is perfect theology. We believe he is the exact image of the Father, Did we ever see Jesus use sickness, disease, break somebody's arm, uh, take their child away, uh, make it impossible for them to make a living, make them homeless? Did we ever see Jesus do that to anybody to teach them a lesson, to grow them spiritually, to draw them closer to God, any of that stuff? Did we ever see Jesus do that? Did he teach his disciples to do that? And they took it out, and that was in the, in the New Testament church. All through the book of Acts, they were breaking people's arms. Do we see that? No. Okay, so it wasn't in the garden, wasn't in the ministry of Jesus. Isn't anywhere in the New Testament that that's coming from God. And then we can talk about, we don't have a lot of information, but when we think about heaven or the new heaven and the new earth, when we look at those things and we see what's there, do we see those problems in the presence of God at that time? No. Okay. That tells me those things are not the will of God for our life. Does that make sense to you? It's not something God does. It's not a part of his nature. It's the result. We go through them because of the sin condition in the earth. That's why we encounter these things. And Jesus said we would. Okay. So there's a good way to go through them and we can grow in the middle of them. All right. But that's different than God sending them. All right, I don't have much time here. Let's just touch on the word aloud, okay? We talked about this last week. And this is something you've got to think through, okay? You've got to think about it. A lot of us say, okay, people will use the term God's, per- well, it was in God's permissive will for my life, okay? Personally, I think that's a silly term, but whatever, okay? 
it's God's permissive will. Or God, but God allowed it to come into my life. Yes, he did. He did. He didn't stop it. All right? All the way back at Noah's time, all right, God flooded the earth because sin had gotten so bad in the earth, he just said, I'm over it. I'm wiping everything out. And then he found Noah. Noah found grace in his eyes, right? Collect some animals, get in that ark, sparing you. We're starting over, all right? When they came out of that ark, and you can read about it in the book of Genesis, God said several things. One thing he said was, I will never render this type of judgment again. In other words, and this is how I interpret that, I will not step in every time sin causes terrible problems in the earth. I will not step in any longer. Instead, there will be seed time and harvest. In other words, what you plant, you're going to reap. All right? There will be night and day. There will be cold and heat. This is the way it's going to be. Why would he do that? Because back in Genesis, he gave he gave authority and dominion in the earth to man. And when God shares something like that, he doesn't take it back when we blow it. I kind of wish he did, but he didn't. He gave that to mankind. He let us sin. He let all this happen. He allowed all of that to happen. The New Testament tells us that he, he, it is not his will. In two different places, specifically, it is not God's will that any person die without Jesus and spend eternity apart from Jesus. It is not God's will, and yet we know that he allows people to make those choices every single day and to go into eternity without Jesus. He doesn't stop it. He doesn't micromanage the earth. Psalm 115, verse 16 says, um, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men. If you look up that word given in the Hebrew, it means assigned. He has assigned it to men. He has given us authority here. So God, my point is God allows loads of things, but they're not his will. God allowed all kinds of things in the Old Testament, sin situations. I mean, women were treated like cattle. That was never God's will. Guys having multiple husbands. I've had guys come to my office and try and pull that up. I have. And they'll say, well, I think I should be able to have two or three, you know, on the side because David did, you know. That was never God's will. He allowed that to happen and kept working with people toward Jesus, but it was never his will. And to me, what's important is what is God's will? Because that's what, that's part of my assignment in this earth. Isn't it for us to pray your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, not let's just let everything that you allow go. Okay, we have some authority and we don't have time. I could, we could go for four hours just on that subject. All right, the authority of the believer, the authority that we have in this earth, it's important that we separate this because if you start thinking, well, God let it come into my life, so he must, what that means is he permitted it with a purpose. That's what we mean. There's a purpose behind it. Well, if there's a purpose behind it, then it's for my good. And so I shouldn't resist whatever this is, this sickness that comes in, this difficulty that comes in, this affliction that comes in. I better not resist that, although we do anyway. All the people that say they believe that a sickness, that God brought it on them or that God allowed it, they all go to the doctor to get out of the sickness. They all go to the doctor. We shouldn't do that. If that's God's will for your life, you better let it work. 
Okay, I, I got to get on. Are you still okay? Are you with me here? All right, whether you agree or not, I want you to think about it. Okay, so it says that that person, just remember that the result for that person is that they become offended with God. That word offended in this case, uh, we've looked at a lot of different words, but this one means to take offense at the character, words, or conduct of another. So they get offended at God. Why? Because they think God brought the affliction, the tribulation. That's where people go. If you've got a lot of religious thinking, you might sort of stick with God through that, but that's where people go. They walk away from God eventually if they think God's making them sick and taking their children and, you know, and it's just such a misunderstanding of who God is. John 10.10, you've got to be grounded in John 10.10. It is the dividing line of all of life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give them life and life more abundantly, okay? The thief does not come to give to make my life better. And Jesus doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy out of my life. Jesus comes for one reason. The devil comes for a different. They, they are they're never together, working together. Okay? All right? You doing all right? Okay. Let's, let's stick with it here. Okay. So, let's, so let me just make a couple statements, and we'll go kick some cows. Um, anything, this is... I believe any theology that seeks to make you passive and accepting of things Jesus died to take out of your life, to make you passive in the face of that, I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that's God. There's a lot of it out there. But to make you just, well, God brought this into my life, so I just have to, I just have to sit here. No, you don't. You need to get up and kick that thing in the teeth because you have the authority to do that. You have the authority to do that. And we're just about to read where the Bible tells us, okay, that that's what we are to do, all right? So any theology that makes you passive and accepting of things that Jesus died to set you free from, what's that? Sickness. He took stripes on his back specifically so we could be healed. Poverty. It says he became poor so that we could be made rich. Oh, that just means spiritual. No, it doesn't. It's the middle of two chapters that are specifically about money. It, it means, and, and you know, we can argue all day about what the word rich means. We're not supposed to be consumed, but he doesn't love poverty. He doesn't love people. He doesn't love babies with swollen bellies. Jesus didn't do that. Sin did that, okay? He doesn't love famine. He doesn't love drought. I don't believe any of that stuff is how God made the earth to work. It's the sin condition out here. Anyway, I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. Okay, so if Jesus died to take it out of your life and gave you his authority to combat it for yourself and others, then God's not using it to train you. That would be a kingdom divided against itself. All right, let's go look at some cows. So uh, run over to the book of Romans. Okay, we're just going to look at two today. There are a lot we could look at. Let's look at the book of Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. And you're going to say, oh, that contradicts everything you just said. Just give me a few minutes, okay? Uh, Romans 5, 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Wow. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or patience. 
Wow, I guess I had it all wrong. And perseverance produces character, character, uh, and character hope. And it goes on, all right? So what's it saying here? Again, this word tribulation is that same word thalipsis, that crushing weight from all the stuff that goes on. And so, so this verse taken from this or many translations in English, if we don't understand what's going on here, it looks like, yep, sure enough, God's sending tribulation into my life to produce something good, to produce patience. And that's exactly what people believe. And I'm not, I feel like I I don't mean to be kicking people. I don't, this is just a misunderstanding I don't want you to have. All right, it looks like it's saying that, well, yeah, tribulation came to produce patience, right? I mean, that's that's what it says in the New King James Version. But really, what this verse is teaching us about is our response to tribulation. It never says the tribulation, doesn't say specifically it came from God. That's an assumption that we make here because it's going to produce something good, okay? So I get that. But so let's look at some words. Let's define some words. This word produces is a, it's a Greek compound word. It's Katergadzomai. I mean, it's you don't need to know that. You can use that at the dinner table this week. Katergadzomai. Okay, here's what this word produces means. This is really important. It means to give something a workout. To give something a workout. It means to put something to work. Okay, or it can mean to bring something to its fullest development. All right, so give something a workout, put something to work, or bring something to its fullest workout. What it never means is that it is creating the something. It's not a creational word. It's saying something already exists, and this word is going to give it a workout. It's going to put something that already exists to work. It's going to put, yeah, put something to work. Or it may bring that something to its fullest development, but it didn't create the something. That's what we think that this verse is saying. Tribulation creates patience in us. So God's using it to create patience in me. That is not true. That is not true. So what is being developed, not created? What is being put to work? Okay, what's getting a workout? It says perseverance. Okay, tribulation gives perseverance a workout, okay? What is perseverance? You guys that have been around here a long time, you've heard this definition about a thousand times. I'm going to shorten it today, okay? What is perseverance? And where did it come from? And it's now getting a workout because I entered into a tribulation or an affliction. Are you with me? Okay, everybody good? Okay, this is the Greek word hupomene that we have talked about so many times. I love this Greek word, all right? I'm going to really abbreviate it. It's got a much longer definition. It is the God-given grace. Where did it come from? From God. It is given. It is a gift that God puts in us, this word, okay? And, and hupomene, there's two different words in the Greek that we translate patience. One is specifically patience with people, which we need. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This one is a grace. It is a gift. It is installed in us, and it's specifically to deal with circumstances, okay? And so it's a grace, the God-given grace residing in the believer with which the believer is empowered 
to contend against. Please get those terms. Contend against the various hindrances, difficulties, troubles, trials, and persecutions that they encounter in their conflict. I have these in big red letters on my screen with the inward and outward world. All right, so God installed something in us a grace, a gift, a divine ability that is specifically there to contend against the stuff the devil tries to bring into our life to steal the word out of our heart. All right, that's what this is talking about. So it's saying when tribulation comes, it gives that hupomene, it gives that perseverance a workout. And it's not just patience. It's not just this kind of lax. It is perseverance. It is endurance. It is an active grace that rises up within us and contends against that tribulation. That thing. It holds on to that seed of the word and gets it rooted. It stands in the middle of tribulation. All right. This word, it is, it is also defined as God's grace that will not allow the believer to be shaken or weakened in the face of tribulation, but empowers us to overcome affliction and accomplish our assignment, which is releasing and enforcing the victory that Jesus already won. That's our assignment, right? So that's what this, that is exactly what this word is saying. It's not that God sends tribulation to create patience. He installs the grace of perseverance in us, the grace of perseverance in us before the tribulation comes. This is a gift. This is some, it's divine ability at work in your heart. And if you know this, then you can, when something comes, you can go, Lord, you know, I need that perseverance stirred up. I need that gift working in me right now. Most of the time we don't have to. There's a righteous indignation that should come up on the inside of you against stuff that comes in to tear your life apart, to steal. The devil does not have the right to do this stuff or the authority to do this stuff. We are supposed to be standing up against that stuff. And that's what this is all about. Well, it says to glory in tribulations. Yes, it does. And here's what that word glory means in this place. It means to brag or to boast. This word, this is right out of one of my Greek dictionaries, describes a cocky, bring-it-on attitude. Glory in tribulations. Okay, devil, you're making my kids sick? Bring it on. Jesus died. We go at that in prayer. We start declaring the word of God. We stand in faith. We say, you're not going to get away with this. You're not going to make my friends. You're not going to take this little girl's life out there playing with her parents. How dare you? That is what this word glory means. We start bragging on God, bragging on his ability that works in us, bragging on what Jesus did at the cross. We start bragging in the face of that on God, not on ourselves. It doesn't mean, you know, just be thrilled, you know, be thrilled and happy and and just let this thing run you over. And notice, we're going to go on to our final scripture. Oh, I got to give you one more part of this too. Um, but, But notice that, Oh, no, that's in the next one. Never mind. Okay, we're back. We're back. Just erase that back a couple seconds. Okay, this word produces or develops katergazomai, okay, that we've been talking about. 
that word was a word that was used in Roman gymnasiums and in Greek gymnasiums. So it specifically meant to give something a workout, to give muscles that you already have installed a workout. Okay, so I I think I've said this to you many times, but you think about it, you go into a gym, I can tell you from experience, just being in the gym does not make you stronger. Okay, in the same way, just being in tribulation does not make you stronger. Okay, just having weights in your garage does not make you stronger, even in the bedroom does not make you stronger. Okay, you've got to actually do something, you've got to give resistance against those weights. And that's what, that's what the idea is here. When tribulation comes, the way that we get stronger in the face of that is through resistance, pushing against it. And we're not creating something. We may be developing this grace in us and, and getting more and more sharp in this grace in us, but we're not creating it. Having somebody come and just beat you with the weights does not make you stronger. The devil throwing tribulation into your life does not make you stronger. It doesn't give you more perseverance. It may develop the perseverance God already gave you. Oh, that's really a subtle difference. No, it's really not because it changes your attitude totally in prayer. You can be absolutely certain God is not bringing things into my life that Jesus died to set me free from. Things that were never in the garden, were never in the ministry of Jesus, are not in heaven. They are not allowed. Now, are we going to win all those battles? Unfortunately, mostly, we, we, I shouldn't say mo- like we don't win most of them. I just mean, no, we will not win all of them, but we're going to fight tooth and nail. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. And we're going to see a lot of victories that way. Okay, one more verse. I only have four minutes. I can't go past 11 today. It's going to happen. It's probably good we don't have a second service right now. I'm too undisciplined for a second service. James chapter 1. This is is another one. It says the exact same thing. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 5. James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops. In this case, what am I reading from NIV? They use the word develops. Exact same wording here. Develops hupomene, develops perseverance. But notice, it doesn't say let the tribulation, let the problem, let the trial have its perfect work. It says let perseverance finish its work. Okay, so we're supposed to be focused on what God installed in us, which was not the tribulation. Okay, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, why is this verse here? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without fault finding and it will be given to him. Who else would we ask in the middle of tribulation? A lot of people look to the tribulation. They look to the problem to say, what's God trying to teach me? We hear it all the time. There are memes on Facebook. You know, when a trouble comes into your life, don't ask why, which I agree with that part. We don't get those answers. So don't ask why. But then it says, ask God what he's trying to teach you implying God sent it. So ask him what he's trying to teach you. Who else would we ask? No, it says seek wisdom from God because he's on your side. He'll teach you how to fight this specific issue. What verses? What does that look like? Well, I ask, Lord, bring up the verses 
bring up the scriptures that I need to stand on. That's the sword you gave me to fight with. So bring up those verses. Holy Spirit, speak them to me and I will declare them out. I will do my part here. I will resist this thing. I am not going to just let it run over my life. Okay, so perseverance is supposed to have its perfect work. I just got one more piece. This, James uses this idea of testing or trials, okay? there. I don't have time to go through it all, but there's different words for testing and trials in the Bible, okay? This one, and this is straight out of uh, Greek dictionary, whenever this word is used with God as the agent of the trial, okay? When God is trying our faith is what we tend to say. It is never for the purpose of causing the person to fall. And it is never shown to have any doubt on God's part about the ability of the believer to overcome the trial. Did you get that? It When, when the Bible's talking and it's making God the author of trying our faith, okay? It's, it's never for, to harm us. And it is never, there's never any doubt on God's side that we're going to stand through that. Why? Because God has already given us. This word, it's often translated proving, okay? And it is specifically the concept that God puts something in us that gives us the power and ability to overcome in this situ- whatever that situation is. And then he proves that that's in there. He proves, he demonstrates, he shows. I always think of this as you get some, you know, old 70s muscle car and you spend a bunch of money souping that thing up and doing that engine and, you know, whatever all goes into that, I don't even know. And then what do you do? You take it out to the racetrack and you prove what it'll do. It's that idea, even back in proving of Abraham's faith, the proving of faith, God installs something ahead. God's on your side. And then, yeah, it's like, you're my agent on earth. Go through that thing because I have put in you what you need. There's that idea, but it's never just sending, slamming us with the weights so that we will grow and we will develop and we'll become more uh, patient, more passive. You know, and that's, I'm sorry, but that's what a lot, there's a lot of religious teaching out there that comes just like that. So I know we've opened a whole lot of cans here. You know, there's a whole piece of this about the authority and understanding the authority that we have. There's a whole piece about understanding the nature of God. I wish I had time to go into Romans 8, 28, because I love teaching on that one. It makes the whole group mad. It's, it's just, but in all of these situations in the New Testament, You know, I just say, keep looking, keep studying, keep asking God questions. But no, he is not the author of these things that are coming into your life. And they will, if you don't handle them, they will steal the seed of God's word out of your heart before it can produce in you. Okay, you still love me? Mostly. Okay, cool. All right, let's stand up and pray. So I didn't love you before, but you know, okay, whatever. (laughs) thank you lord well i love all you guys so there you go father lord i i we rushed through a lot of important stuff today but lord i believe that your spirit is able to get the heart of this into every one of us 
And Father, as we all continue to grow in you and to learn of you, to know your nature better, Lord, the questions that we still have, Holy Spirit, I trust you to answer those questions and to bring them. Show us in your word. You're so good. But when we have a question about the word, you bring another scripture that makes it clear to us. And so, Father, I just ask you for all of that. And I pray, Father, we would be a clear-hearted and clear-minded people about who you are, who the devil is, and Lord, how our, our role in this earth, Lord, as your agents in this earth, to bring your authority to bear against the devil for other people. Lord, I thank you for that today. And as we go out into this community and other communities, Lord, we go with your anointing upon us. We go with your word on our lips. We go in your name, Jesus. Lord, to just like you did, Jesus, to undo the works of the devil. And I thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed. I'm done. So this is Bob and Marianne Rusler. I just wanted to mention them to you. Some of you have met them before. They stop by every couple of years. They live over in Rocky Ford that didn't have a good cantaloupe crop this year. Everybody say, oh. But anyway, great, great believers, and they've been praying over this community. Would you say 76 or 78? 78. He graduated from Western in 1978 when they were still riding horses to school, okay? <laughs> but where we met him is when we were back in the Holiday Inn. These guys, he'd come over every year when school starting, walk the campus and pray, and then he came to church. So, I mean, wonderful people, get to know him, love on him and uh, good friends of this ministry. All right, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. And if you need personal prayer, I'd love to pray for you up to church. All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.